persons, blessed Trinity. Lord God, we come before you now and we just want to be your humble servants bowing before you, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, help us in this most important endeavor. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if y'all would uh, grab one of these blue cards, it's called an FBCO connection card, and please fill that out, especially if you're a first or second time attender. We would love to have a record of your attendance with us. And you can put that in the offering plate here in a moment, or you can take it to the Connection Center as you leave. Uh, and also, there's a, there's a prayer card. Everybody can fill one of those out if you have a prayer need, and the staff, pastors and staff would be faithful to pray for, for those each and every week. So please uh, take advantage of that. Put that in the, uh, in the offering plate. Well, we're going to continue on in uh, Hebrews. Last week was the introduction. Now we get a little bit more into the meat of God speaking. And he speaks to us how? Through his word and through, and in and, and, and the New Testament, his word, we recognize that as Christ himself. And so we're going to sing about that just now. Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. Christ alone. Christ alone. 
standing just a moment and read God's word together. James 1.19 says, and we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Be seated. As we think about this and we think about God speaking to us, we're reminded, and you've heard this a thousand times, I know, but by God's design, he gave us two ears and one mouth, right? And that must be, there must be some importance to that. We need to listen. And this next song reminds us of that. In the second verse, we're going to sing these words. And I want, I want it to really, I, it penetrated my heart this week, and I hope it does yours. The words are, in that second verse, All that I need is to be with you, you being God, and in the quiet, hear your voice. We've got to hear his voice if we're going to follow him. Amen? And this song reminds us of just of that. to be 
during the day, as we listen to you, we find ourselves at a loss for words. Because we just, as, as Job did, uh, before you put our hand over our mouth and say, Lord, all I can do is listen to you because I am a lowly sinner and you are the perfect God. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Lord, thank you for this time that we have to uh, worship you through offering and giving. And, uh, and we ask you, bless it in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus just to Oh, 
song I ran across this week as, as I was thinking about God speaking to us. It's, uh, the writers of uh, In Christ Alone, Keith Getty and Stuart Town, had uh, penned this song about 13, 14 years ago, and it just has such rich text about uh, the, Lord of, uh, the, the, the Lord of the universe speaking to us. By the way, I was just talking to the praise team this morning, the, pra- the uh, worship rehearsal. When you think about reading God's Word, when you think about praying and hearing God's still voice, those are the words coming from the one who... Have you, have you stood at the, at, at the edge of the Grand Canyon? Have you, have you stood and looked at the range of the Rocky Mountains? Have you stood and, and, and watched the, 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 the waves lap up on the Pacific or, or Gulf or Atlantic coast? The one who made all of that, the one who said, oh, I want to star there, 14 billion light years away. And it, it was just there, just the exactly the right place. He's the one speaking to us. Wow. And this song sort of catches a little bit of that. Let's, let's sing it together. Thank you. 
shaping us into the image of your dear son Jesus. Lord, open our minds and open our hearts that we would be transformed into that image. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speaking of creation and the glory of the Lord, we have more light in here. We do. We had the lights worked on this week, and you know it takes a big-time effort. You look out into the foyer, and you see this big machine coming down the, the hallway, and you have to bring it in here, and it's got a lift. And it, We tried to hire some church people to change those lights, but we had a few people fall and die, and so, no, not true. <laughs> We started, uh, we have to bring that lift in here to work on the lights, but let there be light, amen. We're children of the light, aren't we? Not darkness, we ought to have a lot of light around here, so it's a blessing. All right, Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times, And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Contact is a 1985 hard science fiction novel written by an American scientist named Carl Sagan. Sagan held out that the possibility of God was there, it was that he existed could be a possibility, but he thought it was a very small chance. He said there's not enough evidence to prove yes or no. He thought that if God did exist, it was more like gravity. 
And he said at one particular time, it would make no sense to pray to gravity. So anyway, this novel uh, deals with the theme of contact with humanity and extraterrestrial life. Welcome to the media nowadays, right? In 1997, the novel was made into a movie starring Jodie Foster. And she plays the part of a scientist and she's trying to pick up communication signals from intelligent life in outer space. And lo and behold, a message is sent from outer space. The message was, however, not spoken. It was actually kind of like rhythmic pounding. Something like that. The goal then of the movie was to decode the rhythmic pounding. To decode the message. And at the end of the day, everyone, even a preacher they had on there, so-called was thrilled with the very idea that intelligent life had communicated with human beings. What do you think about that? Well, I want you to know that our Creator, the living God, not merely some intelligent being somewhere out there in the universe, has spoken and spoken clearly. Not with rhythmic pounding, but with the revealed Word of God. No cryptic message. Not something that the intelligentsia of the day needs to decode. But clearly, definitively, through thus saith the Lord. Our text today reveals that he has spoken, and he's spoken finally and definitively once and for all through the Son. This is where the book of Hebrews begins. God has spoken. We should be overwhelmed with that truth that our God has spoken. I didn't talk to David about this, but I think David was captivated by that this week, right? Thinking those words. There's always a tendency when you start a book to lose sight of the forest for the sake of the trees. And the writer has an ultimate argument that he's working toward. The argument he's working toward is the first warning section in Hebrews. And that first warning section is chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention that we have what, to what we've heard, lest we drift away. So, the writer's argument is to prove the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ over prophets as mediators of God's revelation. And over the very angels of heaven as mediators of God's revelation. Christ is superior to prophets and angels. The Jewish perspective was that angels were mediators of divine revelation. So Christ is superior to the prophets as mediators of God's revelation and he's superior to angels as mediators of God's revelation. So the prophets of old spoke in an incomplete way. Yet Christ is the ultimate, complete, final revelation of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the bits, all the pieces, all the parts, all the typology. So furthermore, he is very God of very God. So hear this. In a nutshell, 1, 1, Hebrews 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 4 has one theme. And that theme is that God has spoken through his Son finally and fully and definitively and completely. In reference to that, he doesn't have anything else to say. He's spoken definitively. 
So after that, speaking through his son, what can you expect? What's the Spanish terminology? No mas. No more. That's how serious this is. Here it is. Because God has spoken in the son definitively, finally, and completely. You dare not neglect what God has to say. You dare not move away or drift away from it. So the writer is saying to go back to the mere pieces, to go back to the incomplete parts, to go back to partial revelation, to go back to any pieces trying to put the puzzle together via sacrificial system or priesthood or anything would be to go back to what was mediated through angels and prophets and to ignore the ultimate Christ himself. Don't drift away. Don't go back. God has spoken finally and definitively through his son. All right. So let's take apart chapter 1, verse 1, and 2a. Not all four verses. You don't get it today. What happens when you go 1 to 2a is in these last days in 2a, he has spoken through his son. And then there's going to be seven magnificent characteristics of the son of God. And there's no way your seat could have endured me preaching the intro and the seven incredible truths, one being appointed heir of all things. Do you know how long you could preach that the Son of God is the heir of all things? A long time. But I'm going to try to at least, I'm going to attempt next week to give you all seven, but y'all know me well enough to know that I may have to divide those up a little bit, but we're going to do a running ramp up to that. And so, verse, verse 1 and the first half of verse 2 is all about God speaking. So when we speak, when we title something God's revelation, which is given here, what does that mean? Well, God has revealed himself. And our God is a speaking God. And so, the first division, the first sermon point is the God who speaks. So let's examine that. Now, does anybody here appreciate literature? You, you may have more of an, uh, an appreciation than I do, as far as that goes, or the way things are actually written. Uh, Mr. Bob Leffert's funeral was yesterday, and uh, the obituary, uh, the son, Steve, who spoke. I mean, in just excellent literature and, and just ability to put grammar together and communicate. It was, it was really, really good. Um, so, think about that when you hit Hebrews 1.1. Because you're actually looking at and listening to some of the finest literature that has ever been written in the history of the world. You don't realize that. The only thing comparable to it in the entire New Testament is Luke 1, 1 through 4. It's the only thing that even comes minutely close. So, it is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God that is fully authoritative. But it's also polished. In the style of Greek, and the content is absolutely amazing. It has a considerable number of clauses, and it has these phrases that are well-rounded, and the unity is unbelievable. And again, it's rare even in the New Testament to have this kind of introduction. Uh, you are looking at one of the finest pieces of literature ever written. You know, our God does have a flair for the beautiful. Just look at Christ. He does have... He is a God of beauty. 
And remember, these words came from God to man in such a way that what men wrote was without error. That's what the Bible says in its internal testimony about itself. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now, there are five words just in the first verse alone that are alliterated. You know what that means? You use a particular letter to start off every point so that people can understand. And preachers do this, right? Preach with alliteration. I'm not one to do that a lot because you spend too many times trying to find five words that begin with C or D or K or L or M or P. Alliteration would be like preaching. Huh. Some of you look confused. John 3.16. For in this manner God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You could preach that alliteratively with alliteration. Give me an example. You could say there's a danger in this text. That letter that begins with a D, right? The danger is without Jesus you will perish. Does that text teach that? Absolutely. Start with the end of the verse. You will perish without Christ. But there's also a design of salvation and it's love. In this manner God loved the world. So you've got the danger, you've got the design. What about the duty? That whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. And then you have the destiny, right? Everlasting life. So you can use alliteration. You could use it in the, in the C form. The cost, God loved, I'm sorry, the cause of your salvation. God loved the world. The cost that he gave. You ever thought about what it costs for you to be saved? The condition, believe. The consequence, heaven or hell, based on your belief in Christ. So you understand what alliteration is. Well, I'm telling you that in this text, out of the, say, seven or eight words or ten that are given in the first verse, five of them are alliterated. It's, it's, it's to get your attention. Do you want me to say them in Greek? Anybody? Okay, here we go. Palumeros, palutrophos, pale. Paterosin, paterosin, wait a minute, patracin, which is pater, father, and then prophetes, which is prophet. All five words within that scope of one verse given with alliteration. Now, the reason I tell you that is not to show you the Greek language necessarily, but to tell you that God goes to great lengths to use that kind of terminology so that you look past the grammar and see Jesus. He's wanting you to know that it's almost incredibly difficult, it's so incredibly difficult to describe the Son of God. And so he piles up alliteration. And although it's majestic in its literary beauty, it towers in the scripture in exalting the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal of the text is to cause your soul to soar. So that you praise the glory of the one spoken of in this text being the Lord Jesus Christ. So the content of the one spoken of, let me tell you, overshadows the grammar and the literature. We're talking about the Son of God. The great literary artistry of the passage is designed for you to think about the subject. And the subject of Christ demands your attention. And so the writer is piling those 
Greek words up that began with P. So, there's beautiful continuity here. God has spoken. Yet there's contrast. We might say there's continuity, but then there's discontinuity when it comes to the end. All right? So let me give you three things to, to help you unpack the God who speaks. One, God spoke in the past and in the present. Do you see it? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke. Skip down to the end of the verse. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the contrast is this. God spoke in the past and God spoke in the present. So, God has spoken. There's a temptation to speed past this. It's one, of, it's one thing to assert that God exists. It's another thing to assert that the God that exists actually says something to us. That he actually speaks to us. It's a totally different thing to say God speaks. One of the greatest philosophers, Christian philosophers that ever lived was Francis Schaeffer. You ever heard of him? Francis Schaeffer knew this reality, so he wrote a book called He is Here and He is Not Silent. He understood this. As a matter of fact, the main premise of the book is that the fact that God speaks actually changes the entire world. And it does. So, we take for granted the simple reality that God has spoken. We believe that, that He's eternal. We believe He's infinite. We believe He created all things. He's the creator of heaven and earth. We would say that we deeply believe and wholeheartedly believe in the existence of God. But do we believe that our creator God has spoken? That he actually has something to say to us. And I want to remind you that he has not spoken to us as a response to human inquiry. Right? It is not as if God receives fan mail. And based upon the fan mail, he says, you know what? I need, to do, I need to write a book in order to respond to the inquiries from the fan mail. No, that's not it at all. It's not as if mankind was groping around and wondering, what does God have to say to us? The God of the Bible took the gracious initiative to reveal himself to you by speaking. Are you listening? Please, lock in. The theme of, ver of chapter 1 is, are you listening? Uh, do you have ears to hear? Are you listening to God speak? So, understand that the fact that he spoke is the gracious initiative of God to reveal himself to us. He could have remained silent and still been God in all of his glory. But yet, he spoke. Psalm 68, verse 33. We were there for a while in the summer, so you should thump your Bible and it will spring open to the Psalms, right? So, Psalm 68, I love this. Just one little verse that reminds us of this the glory of God speaking. Psalm 68:33, the Bible says, To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, the one who reigns supreme over heaven and earth, has a voice. And he speaks. So since you're still in the Psalms, turn over to Psalm 19. This is the classic expression of God's revelation given to his people in the form of a psalm. Did y'all know that God has revealed himself in creation? 
That's one of the ways that God speaks. Notice Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, clearly, God speaks through created order, that he created all things. It's a form of speech to look at creation, yet it's without words. But yet God is speaking. Creation, God has given testimony of his own name through created order. Notice the massive shift in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So what you see with God speaking is at least two things. Natural creation, natural order. God is speaking to us the way he's created this world. Right? And that expresses the power of the God that you belong to if you're saved. And if you're lost, it should speak to your heart about the power of this God, period. That he created all things that exist. However, when you get to verse 7, this is not natural revelation. This is redemptive specific revelation. In other words, he speaks through nature, but he also speaks through the revealed word of God that is designed to reveal the will of God to you. That's what this book is designed to do. This is not nature. This is God's spoken, revealed word given to mankind. I hope you see that clearly in the Word of God. Let me give you one more place. Romans 1. Some of you are probably ahead of me. Uh, but Romans 1 also speaks of how God would speak to us. Listen to the Word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men... Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So that man is without excuse. Y'all realize that God creating the world is enough knowledge to mankind to send man to hell. The fact that God created the world and we see the magnitude of him speaking just in created order is enough to cause you to go to hell and me in such a way that we're without excuse. But keep in mind that natural created order is not enough to redeem your heart. That's the reason there's a difference in the revealed will of God and the way God created this world to give you knowledge of him. And look at verse 21. For although they knew God, what's that mean? They knew that he existed by what he created. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, 
And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What does this mean? And rather than deal with the God who speaks and who is, dwells in transcendency and who's glorious and holy, man's response is to just make something manageable they can deal with in worship instead of him. And that's what the text is saying. Therefore God gave them up to lust of their hearts, to impurity. Folks, do you know what you're seeing in this world? Alright, verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise give up natural relations with women and are consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty of their error. Understand clearly that homosexuality is contrary to the will of God. Why? Because you're worshiping a created thing, not the creator God. And that's why God gave them up and over to reprobate mind, to do those things which are unseemly, men with men and women with women. It is contrary to the revealed will of God. And we look at our world. Wake up. Why are they doing this? Because that's a manageable deity. When you worship body or sex... You can manage that kind of thing. You think you've got control of it, but in reality, you don't. You've given yourself up, and you'll get the due penalty of your error. That's what the text says. I didn't didn't mean to get on a soapbox, but that's in there with created order. God created the things that are there for us. What a powerful reminder. We take the elements of creation. We begin to worship them because fundamentally it's so much easier to deal with a manageable deity of our own imagination than to deal with the creator of heaven and earth. So God has spoken. But he not only speaks through nature, he he speaks through the word of God. He's told us in this book what revealed truth is. And hear me, when you get to Hebrews, it's not talking about created order. It's talking about the Bible. When it says God has spoken in, in ways... And he's spoken in different times and in different parts. He's talking about the Bible. The revealed word of God. That's what he's talking about. God has spoken to us in a special way and in a direct way. The content of which he has spoken to us is going to be the primary argument in the book. That God has spoken is fundamental to everything we believe as Christians. If you don't believe the Bible, then you're in trouble. If you claim to be a Christian and you don't believe and you twist it and you, and you try to make it manageable so it fits your culture. If you're, not, if you're not letting the word of God form your thinking, then I've got news for you. You may not even be saved. I mean, the Bible is given to us by God. So grammar is important, right? Y'all have hung around this church to know that long enough. Check this out. God spoke to our fathers. That's not the primary verb. The primary verb is he has spoken. God spoke is a participle. All right? This is important. Stay with me so you know the book of Hebrews. All right? So it can be translated like this. After having spoken is the best way to see God spoke there. You don't see it in English, but it's in the Greek. So after, are you staying there in the text? After having spoken, now look down to 2a. That's the main verb. He has spoken to us. After having spoken, 
He has now spoken to us in the present. So there was a period when God spoke that is now past. And that's the significance of the way this is worded. It's complete, but not in the sense of being full or finished. It's complete in the sense of you turn chapter 1, but chapter 2 is coming. Alright? That's how this is designed. What God said in the past was dependent upon something else that God was going to say in the future. After having spoken, chapter 1's over, now it's chapter 2. He has something else to say. And we know what that something else is, right? Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we know what that something else is. Okay, that covers the first part. God spoke in the past, he's spoken in the present. The extent of God's speech to the ancestors was partial and to us is complete. See the contrast? He spoke to the prophets and our, and our ancestors, but in these last days he's spoken to who? Us. There's a contrast. He spoke to them. He spoke to us. The idea is that when God spoke back then, it was only fragmentary. It wasn't complete. It was progressive by nature. No single prophet in the Old Testament got all the revelation. For instance, Job said, in my flesh I shall see God. Had anything ever been said about resurrection before then? Very little. But Job knew that in his flesh he would see God. How is that possible? Because God's not going to let your body stay in the ground. He's going to raise it victoriously. And Job said that, and it very well could be the oldest book in the Bible. And Job knew something of resurrection. However, it was only in bits and pieces. It was incomplete. God spoke through the records of inspired historians. He spoke through the wisdom of inspired books. He spoke through visions. Remember Daniel and Ezekiel and dreams. He spoke through thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai. He spoke once through a burning bush that was on fire but yet not consumed. He spoke directly with verbalizing speech through the words of his servants. On occasion, he spoke by using his finger on a wall. Mene, mene, tike yafarsin. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And you know what that meant? You're going to die. And your kingdom's going to be destroyed, Belshazzar, right? God spoke that way in the past. He spoke through laws. He spoke through some crazy prophets. Have you read about them? He spoke through a weeping prophet named Jeremiah. He spoke through bold prophets. He spoke through reluctant prophets who ended up getting swallowed up by a well because he wouldn't do the will of God. And God says, you're going to do my will, and let's see how much you like the gullet down in that well. And when you come out, you're still going to do my will. And he did. He spoke through miraculous things like the parting of the Red Sea. He spoke through places like the tabernacle. It was his design. It was his sign language to his people. He spoke through the institutions of the priesthood. He spoke through sacrifices. He spoke every time a godly, humble Israelite brought a lamb to the tabernacle and later into the temple. And the priest followed the teaching of God's word. And the priest slit its throat and he covered the ark of the covenant with its blood. God was speaking. Without the shedding of blood, there will be no remitting of sin. Every time that happened, God was speaking. He spoke through great saints. He spoke through notorious sinners. 
He even spoke through a donkey. And I remind myself that if God can use Balaam's donkey, he can use me. Amen? He did. He spoke through the faithful, and he actually spoke through the faithless. Bit by bit, piece by piece, this is the way that God spoke. Is the Bible not an absolutely astounding book? It's absolutely astounding. No piece of literature ever written in the history of the world compares to this book. Nothing. So, this is what God did from Moses to Malachi. Do you know that that period spans 1,000 years? That's one long writing project. God took 1,000 years to give partial, progressive revelation of himself. By generation after generation of those who were alive in each period, they received revelation from God. It was to the fathers. It was specifically to the Jewish people. And he set them apart to be receivers of his divine revelation of a time frame that spans 1,000 years. All right, number three. God spoke through multiple mediators in the past, but only a singular one in these last days. So, the prophets were mediators of divine revelation. They were the very mouthpiece of God's speech. They were representative of the Old Testament revelation. All right, little Bible drill for me. This is going to be really easy. Take your copy of God's Word and turn it to Matthew 1. Please, everybody in this book. I don't know, if, if you look at a cell phone, drive your finger in there somehow. All right, you got your Bible? Put your finger at the beginning of Matthew, chapter 1. Is everybody there? Okay, I have kind of a clean page in between that says the New Testament. What do you have? All right, flip it over, and you've got Malachi. I want you to put your finger in between that clean piece in my Bible that says New Testament and the book of Malachi. Where's your finger in there? Hold it up. Hold it up high. That's Hebrews 1.1. This is Hebrews 1.1. Are y'all looking? Three quarters of your Bible is Hebrews 1.1. In the past, various ways, various parts, God has spoken. 1,000 years of writing from Moses to Malachi. Now do you understand a little bit? That's Hebrews 1, 1. So it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's colorful, it's multifaceted, it's the speech of God. This is God's voice. And hear this, that's just the preamble. That's just the preamble of the story. So... He gives the preamble. Just imagine what's in the closing act of this. He gives this much preamble to get to the closing act. Yet this is what our God has done. So as you take the first three quarters of God's book and you think to yourself, God is speaking. He's revealing. He's talking. He's disclosing. It's progressive. It's partial. It's incomplete. If you stop there and you take off this part, right, you have an incomplete book. It's incomplete if you stop there. The Old Testament story is actually unfinished without the New Testament. 
It's a story with loose strings in the Old Testament. It is Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and there's no closing act. My friends, the climax of all that God has to say is right before your eyes. Do you see it? Clearly. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Actually, in the Greek, it is in son. It is only in Jesus that he speaks. And furthermore, if you don't accept that revelation, you can't understand the first three quarters of the Bible. That's what Hebrews is teaching you. If you miss Christ, you miss everything that God has ever had to say. And you won't understand any of it apart from the Son. So, what do I say at the end of this sermon? Well, first, you need to marvel at the truth that our God is there and He is not silent. You need to cherish what God had to say in three quarters of your Bible. You need to read it and cherish it. The God who made you and has a plan for this world and governs the very universe. He's revealed himself in words on a page. Hallelujah. Not with rhythmic vibrations that need to be decoded. But through his word and through his son. That's how he's done it. Here's a simple question for you and me this morning. Are you listening? Are you listening? Again, the main verb is has spoken. And when it comes to the phrase in his son, the construction stresses the essential character of the one who is son. He didn't have a beginning. He's the son of God in the divine trinity for all time. He's the ancient of days. He didn't become the son of God. He's always been the son of God. He will become Christ, Jesus, the Lord, when he condescends from heaven, he takes on the name Jesus. But in eternity past, he was the Son of God. He was the heir of all things. So, when it comes to that phrase, it's the essential character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this indicates the realm of God's revelation is in Son. In the Son of God. There were many prophets. There's one Son. Are you listening? There were many forms and many times, many ways of previous revelation. But there's one definitive final revelation in Son. This truth presented here of the multiplicity of former revelations. But the singularity of the Son of God is the primary interpretive key to the book of Hebrews. You can't forget that in other words. Did you see it before verse 4 ended? It's the superiority of the Son of God. Hear me. This book indicates that God's former revelation can only be understood through His Son. Everything God had to say in the three quarters of this book cannot be understood apart from the Son of God. So are you listening to God? What is the last days? Well, it represents the days which God's saving promises are fulfilled. He spoke in the past partially, incompletely. Progressively, he's spoken today. He spoke in Christ, the incarnation. Christ coming to this earth, salvation promises, that fulfillment. He has spoken in, he has spoken in these last days. So, the last days, God's saving promises are fulfilled and they have now commenced with the coming of the Son of God. Believers no longer live in the days when they await 
the fulfillment of what God has promised. We actually live in the days of fulfillment. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It's inconceivable that these readers would go back to the parts and pieces of an Old Testament era of sacrifices after all of them have been fulfilled. All right? That's another thematic structure. Chapter 9, let me give you a verse. Chapter 9, verse 26. You're getting tired. Nobody's turning. Chapter 9, verse 26. Hear this. Let your eyes look at it. God's spoken word. Chapter 9, verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Who's the he? Christ. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are awaiting for him. So as believers, we live in the realm of that once-for-all sacrifice that has paid the penalty for our sins. And we wait, not for another Messiah to come, not any other Messiah, only Christ. We're waiting for him to come back. Amen? That's what we're doing. So, we live in a world where Christ, the Son of God, is devalued. Hear me clearly. If you don't get it right with Jesus, you're not going to ever have it right, period. And hear me, church family. This world seeks to devalue the person and work of Jesus Christ. There are those who would devalue, devalue him by saying he's just a good man. Good story. Some people devalue him by saying he was a teacher of morality. We don't, we're not going to deny that he existed. Some say, well, he was just a good religious leader. Or perhaps one among potential saviors of the world. The practical effect of this devaluing of Jesus is always the same. If you reduce Jesus to something less than God in the flesh, then you come up with a God you can put into a box and you can forget about him. After all, if he's just some ancient teacher of morality, then perhaps his words should be studied in the classroom but they can hardly be taken as definitive. And certainly we don't need to trouble ourselves with coming to a church and worshiping an ancient teacher or sing songs of honor of his person and his work and his life and his death and his resurrection. What is our answer to a postmodern reductionism that turns Jesus into something less than God in human flesh? We hold this up. God has spoken. Throw away your experiential garbage. This is what God has to say. Not what your experience about him says. That's secondary. What is primary is this book. This is not a picture book. It's a word book. God has spoken. And that's what we hold up to this world. You don't have to believe me if you don't want to. This book says of Jesus, I'm the way. I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no man will come to the Father except through me. This book says there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. This book says that. 
Not by religious opinion. It's this book. It is my opinion, right? But it comes from this book. So that's what we hold up to this world. God has spoken. He's spoken finally. He's spoken completely through his son. This book, the Bible, will not allow us to reduce the son of God in any way, shape, or form. It will not allow that. So what God's word says about Jesus and your belief in what the Bible says is a life and death matter with eternal implications. I hope you understand that and realize it. All that God has to say to us can be wrapped up in one word, Jesus. That's what he has to say to us. And not just any Jesus made up by human imagination, but the Jesus Christ of the Bible. What this book says about them, him. He alone has the power to save. God has spoken through his son. Are you listening? Are you listening? There's a wonderful song, and Brother David's led it led us in that song before. It's called Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Just listen to some of these verses. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended took on flesh to ransom us. Verse 2, come behold the wondrous mystery. He the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam. Come to save the hell-bound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In him we stand. Verse 3, come behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. That's good, right? Three quarters of your Bible. See the plan unfolding. Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured. Love untold. Final verse. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when he comes again. Whew, what a good song. Amen. Really, in a nutshell, come behold the wondrous story is what I've just preached to you. Isn't it? Are you listening? Are you listening? God spoke in past ways, in many ways, in diverse ways. In these last days, he has one final definitive thing to say. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us as we navigate through Hebrews. Lord, help us. To, to hear your word. You're speaking to us. Lord, thank you for the Son of God. Thank you, Jesus, for grace and mercy. Thank you for speaking to us. God, give our church a hunger for the word. You've spoken and we need to listen. Lord, and you've spoken through your Son, finally and definitively. If there's someone here in this building 
that has rejected you, rejected what you had to say, may you enrapture them with the truth of beholding the mystery of the Son of God. May you grab hold of them like you did Paul. You took hold of him. Lord, would you open eyes? Would you remove callousness from hearts? Would you allow the beauty of the gospel to lead us to repentance? Help us see the glory of Jesus in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. May your truth enlighten us to the truth of who Jesus is. May that be true for a lost person today as they repent and believe and turn to Christ only as the only source of their sins ever being forgiven, but also for believers. God, help us not drift away. Help us to heed the warning of Hebrews 2. God forbid that we would ever go back from, to anything other than your definitive word, Christ the Lord. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We sang this hymn earlier. Let's sing it, sing it again, a bit more reflective this time as we think about God's Word and Him speaking to us. Tis so sweet. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His Word Just impressed upon His promise Just to know Thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet, oh, how sweet to trust in just to trust his cleansing blood just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood Jesus, Jesus how I trust him how I prove him more and more Jesus, Jesus Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy. Brian family, step on up here. Cameron, Carla, Brody, Nolan. All right. The boy, did I get them in reverse order again? I'm terrible. All right. Learning these boys. Um, I was in my prayer. I thought the Lord brought them geographically across the world, you know, halfway across the United States, right? Pretty much in California here. And uh, that's, a, that's a huge change in life. 
But aren't you thankful that God never changes? His truth never changes. And so they stand before us today. And, um, you know, it's a little bit of testimony. I think, Carla, how many churches did you? 20 churches. She listened to pastors and visited, uh, thought about visiting, but they landed here. I don't know what that means. I might be in trouble. No, but anyway, God is good, and I'm thankful uh, for them, them, the Lord bringing them here, but also to say to you, they want to join our church. They've taken the new members class, so they're all set. They know Jesus as Lord. We're waiting on the boys to profess Christ as Lord, but for Cameron and Carla, Brian, they know the Lord, so I just put them before you today and tell you they're our newest members. To God be the glory. Amen? Glad to have them. I had to go back there with Don. All right. So, uh, I see Miss Kay back there. Would you please continue to pray for her, fam- her and Steve and Shane and the family and Mr. Bob's uh, home going to glory? But we, we grieve, and that doesn't change. But not as others who have no hope, right? We put our faith in Christ. And uh, Miss Pam Gardner's mom lived to be 102, 101, and she went to be with the Lord this week. So y'all pray for the Gardner family. All right? Anything else we may have missed that you want to shout out to us? Glenn. Glenn Redmond is up in Barnes in ICU. He's been in ICU for now close to a month and is waiting on a heart. He's got to have a heart transplant. So pray. Pray that the Lord will help in this situation. Amen. Um, no service tonight because it's the Tri-County. That's If you're not familiar with that, so you'd have... Uh, Christian, Taney, and Stone, Tri-County Association. Our church is like 58 of them, partnered together in mission efforts. But that annual meeting is tonight, and there you have it. Real life Hollister Church. If you want to come there for a Baptist business meeting, be there at 4. <laughs> All right. And then at 5, there's a fellowship meal. At 6, there's a worship service. And John Yates, who's the outgoing uh, Executive Director of the Missouri Baptist Convention. We've hired a new one, and uh, John Yates will be the one going out, and he will be preaching tonight there, okay? I think I touched all the bases. All right, God bless you.